horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. So happy to have you with us for another edition of American Road Trip Talk. I wanted to let you know that this fine program is brought to you through the courtesy of the folks at Sabre. Our friends at Sabre want to know that there, and they want you to know that there are 38,000 carjackings. That's right, 38,000 carjackings and 6 million car accidents occurring each year in the U.S. Think about that. Now, you can protect yourself and your family with Sabre's new Safe Escape Automotive Tool. It's the only three-in-one car tool of its kind. The Safe Escape features a seatbelt cutter, a stainless steel glass breaker, and Sabre's Maximum Strength Pepper Gel. Protect yourself and your family with the new Safe Escape from Sabre. It's available now on SabreRed.com. That's S-A-B-R-E-R-E-D.com. Use the offer code AmericanRoad and save 20% off your purchase. We are delighted to have you with us. Today, the best way I can introduce this show that I've thought of anyway is that it's easy to refer to a state like Kansas or Nebraska as flyover states. You could look through your airplane window and look down on Kansas and think, well, there's not a whole lot to see there. And you would be wrong because Kansas is rich with history. And if you make the trip by car, you can stop and find out a whole lot more than you thought you could know about the state of Kansas. That is absolutely the case with Lecompton, Kansas. I'm going to interview and introduce right now a gentleman named Paul Bonmeyer. Paul is president of the Lecompton Historical Society. And what he doesn't know about Lecompton and its rich history probably isn't worth knowing, but he's the one to judge that and to spell it all out for us today. Paul Bonmeyer, welcome to the show, sir. Well, it's glad to be here. We have a story that um, many, many Americans do not realize that what happened here in Lecompton and in Kansas led to the election of Lincoln and was the birthplace of the Civil War where slavery began to die. Well, that doesn't sound inconsequential at all, does it? <laughs> Lecompton, historic, Lecompton, Kansas, L-E-C-O-M-P-T-O-N. And when I first saw that, Paul, I was looking online. I use Google as much as the next guy. And I saw that phrase, Civil War birthplace, where slavery began to die. It was such an historically rich phrase. I thought that is the First thing I need to ask Paul about, our listeners would love to know the deep meaning behind that phrasing. Well, uh, the Lecompton Constitution was written in the building that I'm speaking from today, which is a 163-year-old building. was written in 1856, and it went back to Washington, D.C. Uh, for approval, and uh, it passed the United States Senate, 33 to 25, was strongly endorsed by President Buchanan, but failed in the House 120 to 112. But in the House of Representatives, they got into a physical fight over the Lecompton Constitution that was written on the second floor of this building, and it didn't end until the congressman from Wisconsin pulled the wig off of the congressman from Mississippi and held it up in the air and yelled out, look, I've scalped him. But during this <laughs> fight, the, the, the president of the Senate could not bring him to order, and he ordered the speaker... The Speaker ordered the sergeant-at-arms to use mace, 
try and bring them to order. And finally, the wig was uh, was pulled off, and they all laughed at the situation. But it was, as it says, there's 30 middle-aged men in a fight on the floor over the events that occurred here in Lecompton. But because of this event, it split the National Democratic Party. So in 1860, when Lincoln ran for president, there were four candidates. Stephen Douglas is a Northern Democrat. John Breckinridge is a Southern Democrat. John Bell is a constitutionalist Whig. And Lincoln won, which is 39% of the vote. So without the fight in Washington over the Lecompton Constitution that was written on the second floor of this building, Lincoln would not have been elected president in 1860. And Jonathan Earle, who is a professor at the University of Kansas and now at uh, LSU, has, was quoted in a New York Times article when he said the Lecompton Constitution, or Lincoln would not have been elected president had it not been for the Lecompton Constitution. And Alexander Stevens, who was vice president of the Confederacy, in his memoirs, he said it was the omission of Kansas under the Lecompton Constitution that the disastrous split took place in the Democratic Party. And... This is really uh, an unknown story, but we're talking right now from the Constitution Hall, which is a two-story building that uh, has the original siding on three sides and the original flooring, and uh, it's uh, a wonderful uh, stop along the Kansas Turnpike. We're 35 miles west of of, uh, Kansas City, or halfway between Topeka and Lawrence, and uh, it's as I say, it's an unknown story that nobody knows about, but it ranks right up there with any Civil War historic site uh, in America. And, you know, Kansas was part of the uh, the Bleeding Kansas, and Bleeding Kansas was a battle that took place starting in 1854, in which they estimate that over 100 people died in Kansas prior to the Civil War starting over the slavery issue. And it was basically between the Free Staters and the abolitionists and the bushwhackers from Missouri. And both sides were equally uh, vicious in their attack. Uh, John Brown uh, went to uh, Pottawatomie Creek and uh, murdered and butchered five men at, at this site. And then a year later, the uh, free staters took 12 pro-slavery men and, and uh, placed them in a, a ravine at Meridazine Massacre site and killed five of them and uh, injured seven of them. And uh, it just goes on and on and on what happened here in Kansas. The uh, Battle Creek, or uh, the battle at at Mine Creek was the uh, last battle in Kansas as far as the only battle between Confederate and Union armies. And it's a story that most people in America don't realize what happened. But it all happened right here in Kansas and and Missouri, the western part of Missouri. Paul, that includes me. I'm learning a lot already. I had not heard this, and I've taken my share of history courses. When I think about what happened in and around Lecompton, Kansas, that was really the epicenter of a fight that America was having with itself about whether the immorality of slavery would become more important or less important as the economic fortunes and the westward expansion of America continued. I think most people easily forget that this this idea of uh, Lincoln saying that we cannot, that the Union cannot long endure half slave and half free, it's, it's something we look at 
today in terms of history, but this was living history for people who fought this issue so bitterly. Very much so. It was neighbor against neighbor. And, you know, this whole situation came about because of the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska bill. And at that time, there were 29 states, and they thought that that with the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska bill, that Nebraska would come in as a free state and Kansas would come in as a slave state, and that would keep the balance of power equal in the United States Senate. And, of course, uh, the abolitionists came out to Kansas, and they put up a fight here in Kansas. And, and, and when Kansas uh, became a free state, that's when the southern states succeeded from the Union, and, of course, the Civil War started. Lecompton had nine territorial governors. They were all appointed by either President Pierce or Buchanan. President Pierce and Buchanan, even though they were uh, from the northern states, were pro-slavery leading presidents. And so with their desire, particularly Buchanan, wanting Kansas to come into the slave state, the uh, governors were sent out here with the idea to make Kansas come in as a slave state. And uh, the first vote that took place on the Lecompton Constitution, uh, the Missourians crossed over uh, in mass and voted illegally. But at the time, there were more pro-slavery people living in Kansas. And uh, on Another occasion, the Free Staters refused to vote, and it, it ended up in, in a, a real tumultuous place here in Kansas and in western Missouri. And no side was better than the other. They were both very, very vicious. So this was a, a story, among other things, a, a true story of voter fraud. It was for real in this case. Oh, yes, definitely. Very definitely voter fraud. By now, this was, this was a fight. By thousands of votes involved. We're talking here about people who were willing to fight, fight to the death perhaps, over the nature of America's character as this young nation was growing. I I don't think it's possible to overstate the significance of that, and it's where you live. Yes, very definitely. Uh, My ancestors came in 1855, and he worked as a tailor in in one of the hotels. as far as we know, they came here to make money because it was going to be the capital. The population of Lecompton reached 4,000 people. It was referred to at that time as the Wall Street of the West. And, of course, uh, when the, the capital was moved, the population shrank, and today there's 640 people here in our town. 640 people. That's with that all of that history echoing all around them. That is fascinating. Uh, did I understand you correctly to say that we are talking to you as you are in Constitution Hall? Yes, I am. And it is a national landmark. And uh, it, it, uh, the convention took place on the second floor. And the uh, land offices were here on the first floor. And, and it's, uh, as I say, this building and what happened here ranks right up with any major Civil War site in America. And that includes Gettysburg and, and Appomattox and, and Fort Sumter, because this is where it really started when the Lecompton Constitution went to Washington and they got into this physical fight and it led to the election of Lincoln. Paul Bonmeyer is our special guest. He is president of the Lecompton Historical Society, and there is so much history to explore. On the other side of this short break, we're going to have more questions for Paul about the fateful events and where they happen and how they are preserved for you to visit today. Did you know that there are 38,000 carjackings and 6 million car accidents occurring each year in the U.S.? 
Now you can protect yourself and your family with Sabre's new Safe Escape automotive tool. Sabre, the number one pepper spray brand trusted by police worldwide, offers the only three-in-one car tool of its kind. The Safe Escape features a seatbelt cutter to slice through manufactured seatbelts in seconds, a stainless steel glass breaker for speedy escape, and Sabre's maximum strength pepper gel with a range of up to 12 feet and 25 bursts per canister. That's one safety tool that helps you escape to safety after a serious accident and helps protect you against dangerous threats you may encounter while driving or walking to or from your vehicle. It is now available at saberred.com. That's S-A-B-R-E-R-E-D.com and use the offer code American Road to receive 20% off your purchase. We are rejoining our friend Paul Bonmeyer of Brand New Acquaintance. I'm learning so much from this gentleman. He is president of the Lecompton Historical Society in Lecompton, Kansas. He is talking to us on the phone from Constitution Hall. When people drive through town, they do not want to miss this extraordinary attraction, Paul. In terms of what is available, what has been preserved, and I'd also like to know what is being reenacted because you folks have your share of reenactors. What kind of experience can people expect when they go to Lecompton? Well, when we have a motor coach tours or school groups, uh, they come to the Territorial Capitol Museum, which was started as the Capitol Building with a $50,000 appropriation. And, of course, then when the money ran out, they decided that Compton wasn't going to be the capital. So it was completed as Lane University. And it has a story, the name Lane University, because the United Brethren Church said that they would name it after the man who pledged the most money. And James Lane, who was a radical free stater, decided that he would try and embarrass Compton by having the university named after a free stater when they were pro-slavery. He pledged $2,000. He did not fulfill his pledge, but they... Bill went ahead and named the university after him, and so it was it was called Lane University. But what is interesting about this, in 1884, Ida Stover and David Eisenhower came to Lecompton to, to attend school in Lecompton, and, of course, they married in the fall of 1885 in the chapel of, of this Lane University, which is the Territorial Capital Museum, and, of course, this, they, they became the parents of Dwight David Eisenhower, our, our uh, president of the United States. And other sites, of course, as our Democratic headquarters, which was uh, probably the first building built in Lecompton. It's down along the river, and uh, it is uh, in what we call Bald Eagle Park, which is interesting in the fact that the two founders of Lecompton were Ostrichus Rodrigue and Nathaniel Boone, who was Daniel Thune's uh, nephew. And they were looking for a site for the capital of Kansas, and it became originally known as Bald Eagle because the uh, when they selected the site, a Bald Eagle flew out, and so they named it Bald Eagle. But then they didn't think that was a dignified enough name for the capital of Kansas, so they named it after Territorial Judge Lecompton. Lecompte. And when we have the motor coach tours, we do this play called Bleeding Kansas, which is a, 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 an 1850 town meeting. And the audience is divided in the north and south, and they are encouraged to cheer and boo the speakers and get as rowdy as they want to, just like an 1857 town meeting would be. And we have such characters as uh, John Brown, uh, uh, Jim Lane, Sheriff Jones, Clarenda Nichols, Sheriff Jones, uh, uh, Charles Robson, uh, Clarenda Nichols, uh, and uh, 
the audience really enjoys this experience because it's exactly the way it was. Of course, all these individuals were not in the same room at the time, but it was a very rowdy, uh, confrontational time during that, that time period. It gives me an opportunity. And then, of course, we have Constitution Hall, which is the national landmark. And, yes. Uh, it, 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 it's it's a, a unique building in itself because it's a, it is uh, the, the siding is, is uh, native walnut with the native tides on three sides. Uh, it is a balloon construction of uh, uh, cottonwood two-by-fours, which means they go from the bottom of the first to the top of the, uh, the second floor. Uh it was, uh, and it has the original cottonwood floors on both floors, and uh, we we uh, are very proud of this building for what it stood for in American history. As well, you should be. I also love that. And I don't get to use this word very often, but you're setting an historical tableau by bringing people in who may not have been in the hall at the same time but the representation of their lives and the meaning of their lives and the issues over which they are fought become indelible to visitors. I think that's a great way to promote history, uh, an appreciation of history, and also the town of Lecompton. I keep thinking if something like this exists, there has to be a continuous source of funding. Do you have some philanthropists that maintain this? Is it a civic function? How do you keep it going? Uh, the uh, Territorial Capital Museum and Democratic Headquarters and the, the jail are maintained by the Lecompton Historical Society. And uh, we have uh, uh, individuals who donate uh, a considerable sum of money. And then the Douglas County Commission has been very, very supportive of, of Lecompton. And they provide a, a, a small tax levy, which helps maintain these buildings. Constitution Hall is, is maintained by the, the taxpayer of the state of Kansas. It's owned by the Kansas State Historical Society. And uh, that's how it's, everything is maintained. Uh, the uh, Territorial Capital Museum, uh, we basically operate with, on volunteers, and that's how we're able to uh, keep our buildings open. And, and they're open Wednesdays through Saturdays from uh, 9 to 5 and 1 to 5 on Sundays. And... Uh, it's a, a community cooperative effort because we have uh, two restaurants and uh, uh, we share, when the motor coach tours come, they uh, share the opportunities to, to eat in those locations along with the United Methodist Church. When we have large groups, the church uh, pro provides the meal. And uh, it, it's just really a, a cooperative effort that makes this possible. And uh, one of our main promotions is that we have 170 uh, Christmas trees of vintage Victorian uh, ornaments. It's an unbelievable display. It's the best in the Midwest. And we have that on display from October the 15th through January the 1st. And uh, we'd be excited for everyone to come and uh, see what is the most important city as far as unknown in the United States. Absolutely. A mystery that everyone can unravel for themselves. I do want to know a little bit more, I'm sure our listeners do as well, about the ornaments, uh, the ornamentation and the things that have been preserved. How many generations are we talking about? Well, they go back to the feather trees, back to before the turn of the century. We have a feather tree that was brought over by, the, by a family 
uh, when they came over from Germany. And the feather trees are made of goose feathers generally, and then they are dyed uh, uh, green, or some of them are dyed blue. And uh, but we have many, many ornaments uh, older than uh, the turn of the century. Uh, people bring these ornaments in when they see our display and say, we'd like to give you ours because we don't want them to be sold at a sale and we don't think anybody wants them, and so they will always be preserved here. And it's, it's, a, it's a truly a unique display that's, uh, again, the best in the Midwest. I can I'd tell also that you have... I mentioned yes. that there also was a Battle of Fort Titus, which I kind of skipped over, but on August the 16th, 1856, the Free Staters were coming to sack and burn LeCompton, and they came to Colonel Titus's home, and they had a battle and three people were killed and 14 people were injured, and it's the first battle between free state and pro-slavery forces in which there were actual casualties. And it's interesting that Titus left Kansas and founded Titusville, Florida. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, associated with the Space Coast, as it's called, and yes. quite a lot of progress headed north in a big way, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we talk about these events in Lecompton and the the dire battle, we're talking about the American character itself. I'm trying to to imagine what it would be like if I am a free stater and I am living across the street. Would it be entirely likely that, and of course, people might have had larger lots at that time, perhaps farms nearby, but would you have a kind of situation documented there in Constitution Hall or documented by the society itself of neighbor versus neighbor, where there was this constant undertone of suspicion between those people who disagreed about so fundamental an issue? I mean, really, they could live across the street from each other? Well, we don't have exactly any that I'm aware of right here in Lecompton, but but in Kansas, Missouri, that was what was happening. It was neighbor against neighbor. Uh, uh, it was, you didn't, they called them mugwumps sometimes because people were on both sides of the fence in the middle and, the, uh, and they called them mugwumps because they had mug was on one side and their womp was on the other side. <laughs> so and, it, it was, and, and you it know, could turn it, that it, violent. It, it, you know, and uh, the, Dastardly deed that Quantrill did uh, when he burned Lawrence in 1863 and killed over 100 men, you know, that was caused by some jayhawkers that had, uh, had attacked Osceola, Missouri. And just an example of how you, interesting it was, the, after Quantrill burned Lawrence in 1863, the federal government issued Order Number 11, which was to remove all the citizens in the three counties on the western side of Missouri if they didn't swear allegiance to the American flag. And so the federal troops went into Dayton, Missouri, and they burned the town, and there were only women and children there. And the women and children found a wagon and a horse that the federal troops hadn't taken. So they hitched it up, put some supplies that they'd salvaged, and then they realized that the federal government uh, would take the horse if they found them with the horse. So they took sticks and punched the eyes out of the horse because they knew that the federal government wouldn't take an injured horse. And that's just an example of how vicious this whole area was during that time period and and why the story of in, in eastern Kansas and western Missouri is an unknown story. And Freedom's Frontier, which is a national heritage area, has been established, which which involves the 29 counties in eastern Kansas and, and 11 counties in western Missouri, and they it is to tell the story of, of what happened in this uh, time period, and uh, 
as I've said many times, it's a little-known story that most of the people in America do not know about. I'm quite sure about that. I also, while time remains, Paul, if you'd say a bit more about this phrase, which seems to be so evocative, so well-remembered among the locals, the notion of bleeding Kansas, it was a, a not only a time of bitter dispute, this was a bloody time. There are references in editorials from the period talking about the gore that one would see. Well, bleeding Kansas was a national story, well, not only a national story, but just to tell you that the uh, in in England we have on a record that over 50 newspapers carried stories about what was happening in Kansas and in particular Lecompton with the Lecompton Constitution because it it was a prelude to the Civil War and they all knew that if it wasn't settled uh, then Civil War would happen and of course it wasn't settled and uh, the Civil War was the result. And for those of us who thought that it all started, of course, there was all the debate beforehand, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, etc. We remember that. But for the average person, they think, okay, that shot fired at Fort Sumter is what got it started. Not entirely. No. And I don't know that I mentioned that the, Link, the name LeCompton is used at least 57 times during the Lincoln-Douglas debate. So, it, as I say, it was a national story. It absolutely was. If you go to... Uh, in fact, let's get the website out there. If people want to learn the rich history of the area, where can they go and get up close and personal with that, Paul, and maybe even contact you? They could go to www.lecomptonkansas.com, or we'd be glad to have any of our phone. Our, the number at our museum is 785-887-6148. And uh, here at Constitution Hall, it's 8876 and we'd be glad to host anyone uh, and perform the Bleeding Kansas play and give you a, a, an authentic tour of the birthplace of the Civil War right here in Kansas. Paul Bonmeyer, I am so pleased to be able to meet you on the radio. President of the Lecompton Historical Society, the work you do is very important, sir, and I thank you so much for sharing it with our listeners today. Well, we thank you so much for contacting us and, and uh, giving us the opportunity to share this important history of the United States. Important indeed. That will do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. I'm Gary Mance, reminding you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next week, drive safely and dream well. <laughs>